Welcome to Faith Over Breakfast. You are listening to a podcast by Pastor Eric Seepen and Pastor Andy Littleton. If you enjoy Faith Over Breakfast, we encourage you to rate it on the Apple Podcast app, on Spotify, or Google Play. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. Well, welcome to Faith Over Breakfast. My name is Eric Seepen, and across from me is Andy Littleton. He is pastor of Mission Church in Tucson, Arizona. I am pastor of the Village Church in Tucson, Arizona. And we just hang out in this podcast and chat. And we, maybe for some of our listeners, this will be one that they tune out because they don't care about Mars Hill and Mark Driscoll. But since right. it's close to my heart and a little bit to yours, we... Well, and clearly in both of our churches, people are listening to the new Christianity Today podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Yes. And so, though we know there's a lot of podcasts about the podcast, uh, you know, for our listener base, we thought we'd give you our our angle on yeah. the whole deal and, and how it's kind of landing with us. So Right. And maybe, you know, villagers who uh, look up on the screen and they see Mars Hill Church or Team Strike Force or <laughs> Ezekiel's Cookout, and they're wondering, like, who's... Uh... <laughs> yeah, that was one of the big cookout. bands early on was Ezekiel's Cookout. <laughs> Pretty sweet name for a band. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Anyway, okay. These are Mars Hill yeah. bands. They've had an influence on the community. Okay. So, well, enjoy the podcast. And uh, we, yeah, we appreciate you tuning in. Yep. Thanks, Andy. Well, we, uh, it's been a couple weeks. It has been a couple weeks. And here we are. And the biggest thing that, came to my mind probably because the last time I was at an actual breakfast with you this is a big thing you were talking about anyway is this new Mars Hill podcast yeah. so there are many podcasts about this podcast and we're just adding to the to, to the, the list yes. to the noise but hey it is what we we very well could talk about it if we were just sitting down for breakfast which is in theory what we're doing so yeah well, I probably it's, would. It's we on, would. We'd talk I, a little bit about it for I, sure. Yeah, I think we would. It's on people's minds. So, um, yeah, so there's this podcast that Christianity Today, the Today. Rise, the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Mars Hill Church in Seattle, not Mars Hill Church in Michigan or right. Grand Rapids, which the, doesn't they exist still, I think. I don't know. That was Rob Bell's church. Rob Bell, yeah. It is interesting that the two big um, kind of leaders that came out of the emergent movement both had a church named Mars Hill. Both aren't at it anymore. Right. And and ended up going very different directions yes. afterward. Yeah. That's it's very interesting to me. It is. So anyway. So uh, why why is Mars Hill church so, so important? Why is the why pa- is it, ex-pastor Mark Driscoll, who has a church in Trinity, it's called Trinity in, in Phoenix, Phoenix, Arizona. Yeah. Yeah, he got all he got all the uh, the anti maskers and stuff. He had a growth spurt. I heard. I yeah. Oh, well, he's know. it's about two thousand now. Okay. I think at the height of Marcel, they were up about twenty five thousand somewhere in there. Yeah. I've yeah. They had many sites, different churches, all over the place. It was huge. It was yeah. a big thing. Well, Marcel Church in Seattle. It's had a big influence on the village. In fact, there would be no village without Mars Hill, probably. Really? Now, okay, tell us about that. How would there be no village without Mars Hill? Well, how would there be no village with... Well, a couple of things. One, it's interesting just as a reflection. We're probably one of the few churches in the United States that still plays a good chunk of the music that came out of Mars Hill Church um, as a catalog, which is kind of funny. I mean, so uh-huh. it's our con- part of our connection there. But um, what, how, what are what are some of those songs? Okay, well, I wouldn't have guessed that that you still played. Oh yeah, we played a ton of them. So yeah, um, ones that people. I mean, I don't know if you would even recognize any of them, but because they're all Is this old Mars Hill stuff, uh, early Mars Hill stuff. Yeah, for probably the first fifteen years, uh, we music from the mostly from a band called Team Strike Force and from another, their original band from Brad Curra. So, you know, so, but they they named all their songs from the scripture that they wrote them from. Uh-huh. And so it's like Romans 12, Romans 6, you know, Psalm 148. Okay. <laughs> Perseverance, coming out of James chapter 1. Um, gosh, probably be better if the mercy stands, stand firm. 
Psalm 32, like the word of the Lord, Psalm 46. They just all, they're all scripture. They, they, Which is interesting because the era of Mars Hill I am most familiar with is, you know, King's Kaleidoscope, King's Kaleidoscope Dustin Kensrue, um, Citizens, stuff like that. that yeah. The, and they a little different. They were different the, era. they uh, were what you would call the, the, Mars, kind of the Mars Hill went sort of mega and it went male. And so all they stopped having women as um, worship leaders. The women mm-hmm. weren't allowed to lead worship anymore. So they used to be. So yes. they they went mega male. Yes, they went mega male. And so, yeah, those guys are big a big deal in there. And those guys had more like uh, secular success in the uh-huh. sense of, or at least visibility yeah. um, because Mars Hill was big. The bands that were playing early on, um, they were all over Seattle. They were had their own bands that had nothing. They weren't even you would right. wouldn't recognize them as you know quote unquote Christian bands. Sure, they were just playing in clubs doing their thing. Yeah, um, but yeah. So I might could go. There's, I mean, it, I think more of the recent stuff we played but stopped. We, I mean, we would do we we did Poison Tree. Um, we still do the revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, we do. We haven't done Christ alone. That's a pretty popular one that people do. But yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I'm not as good at reciting all the songs that we do. But yeah, no, that's. Uh, so these are these are not songs that I am familiar with in connection to Marcel. We should state our relationships to this yes. movement really quick. Because this is the interesting thing. I, to this day, have still not listened to an entire Mark Driscoll sermon ever. Um, I've heard snippets and clips. Of course, tons of people I've known were very into it. For whatever reason, it just didn't... It's kind of interesting to me. It is interesting. I'm listening to the podcast, it's, so it's interesting. But it was never a ministry that I went, oh at least in the years I was involved, I'm coming along, you know, years after you in the early years, I might've felt differently. Who knows? But for me, it wasn't something where I said, this is my thing. I'm, I'm about this. I want to hear more. I didn't like uh, Mark's, I guess, arrogance Mm -hmm. ever. Like when I heard clips, people Mm -hmm. were like, this is awesome. And I thought that's interesting, but I don't know about, awesome why would I, I you know i i'm like i don't know that this is somebody i want to really listen to and so therefore the whole thing to me was more of a circus to watch sure than a ministry to be that, that influenced me though i know that's quite different for a lot of my peers sure and i'm curious about the reasons for that but you though were there was a different era yeah i was there in a different era i think my friends who are into mars hill differ from you when yes. you were into mars hill well let me just explain so you're, uh, you're in message boards with mark yes, driscoll I am. and stuff I'm on yeah message boards with mark driscoll let me explain it this way so uh in 1996 when i got to tucson got married and started really doing ministry in the community that i was in uh I hung out at a lot of coffee shops, and most of my friends were about five years younger than me, and or four years younger than me, and they were all tatted, and they were all, you know, on drugs, and they'd never been to church. Right. And I went, to, well, just you know, I went to El Camino Baptist Church. Yeah. And at the time, and it's still this way for the most part, is that it's an older congregation that was not going to p- welcome. Right the people that I was engaged with, nor would they understand what the heck was going on. And and I have a similar sense about right. what part of why I planted a right. church. Right. So, but I didn't see myself as a church planter or a pastor. I just saw myself as someone wanting these people to know Jesus we, and doing ministry in college and singles yeah. ministry and campus ministry. And, um, and, you know, and I'm doing all the traditional things like bring Cliff Conley to to the U of A, I was part of that whole, and oh, he still was comes. Cliff, he was the apologist he, he's, guy? He's still, the, yeah, he's an apologist. You know, yeah. Kind of, um, so doing that, I, I would meet with all the campus ministers and pray once a week, and I was doing all that kind of normal ministry kind of stuff, but I had all these friends who didn't fit in any of these areas, right. 
and kids that I really cared about. Um, and so I was like, well, I don't know how we're going to do this. And then I just was surfing the web back in the day when it took forever to surf the web. Uh-huh. And I stumbled on this church called Mars Hill that had a website that was all built on Flash. So it was totally different than everybody yeah. else's website. And they had music and sermons you could download, which I had never seen in my life. So they were early on that they are bandwagon. First. When I was listening to the podcast and all the the stuff about their message boards online, I thought, wow, they were probably one of the few churches you could engage with that way at the time. Yes. Yeah. They were. And so they were advertising this conference and it cost fifty bucks. You just had to get there. It's three days. And so Sue and I figured it out. And I remember the plane ticket cost ninety eight bucks round trip. And we flew up there, and we had our minds blown. Yeah. Like, I remember walking into the conference, and there's candles everywhere, and there's velvet, you know, cloth everywhere. And and up there is Brad Curra, who I didn't know who he was at the time, and he's singing the songs I've never heard but are just beautiful and theologically rich and not what you would hear at church. And... Yeah. I just started weeping, like the very first, because I looked around, and these are all people yeah. who are church planners and others, but they did not look like anybody right. that I was used to seeing. Which, and those are beautiful, both of those. I've experienced things like that, like meeting leaders, and you go, oh, my people. Yeah. And that's it was pretty a, incredible. It was a definite meet my people. Yeah. And at that time, just, you know, so then there were people like, Doug Paget and Brian McLaren and um, Alan Roxborough and and they were all depressed. Everybody, this was a weird conference because everybody got there and said the church is not doing this; it's falling apart. I don't mm. know what to do. So this was not a conference of here's how you should do this. It was even with Mark. Mark opened up. I mean, I I wept the first time I ever heard Mark. He opened up and he said, "Maybe you are like Cain and you've murdered your brother and you don't know what to do right now." Maybe you're like Moses and you're run away, you've run away from God and now he's called you. And he went through the entire Old Testament in 20 minutes. And I'm just, my eyes, hmm. I'm like, he connected to yeah. all of these people, which is what he's good at. Yeah. Um, and so I thought, you know what? These people know what they're doing. And in particular, Mars Hill knows what they're doing. I, I'm just going to eat this up. Right. So I even learned to like preach from Mark. I picked up a couple of his sermons. I re-preached them to figure out how he did it because um, I didn't know what I was doing. And yeah. so in a sense, vicariously, or not even vicariously, I just was trained by Mark. So Sue and I would go up every year yeah. to, and we would go around to all the different places that Mark, so we'd go to their Bible studies. We were just like, how, how are they doing this? What are they doing? And we did that for, I don't know, the first five, six years. And what years are these? So now? that's 98. Probably. So it's 98. Yeah. We planted a church in 2001, but we were traveling up. It was either 98 or 99. I'd have to, I think it might have been 99. But anyways, the Young Leaders Conference, they had two of them. If you listen to the podcast, one was in Glorietta uh-huh. and then one was in Seattle. I had listened to all the tapes from the Glorietta one. Yeah. And I uh, went to the Seattle one. I yeah. met Andrew Jones and. And in fact, I was just in a conversation with Andrew Jones and uh, Brad Curra just on Facebook. You can go find it if you want. <laughs> we were just talking about music and talking about the podcast a little bit and yeah, that kind of stuff. So it's interesting because I think in a at a similar time, I was the thing that had kind of captured my attention about about the same time. I think now that I think about it, was the the Passion Conference. Um, or their the one day events by passion. Okay. That was I'm just thinking about. I mean that I listened to the first one and I was like, "What is this?" And then I went to the second one. Sure. And it was just a similar. It was right around the same time, but very, but a different crowd. Yeah, very different. different crowd. Very different leaders. You've got Louis Giglio, John Piper, Vody Bauckham, which, interestingly enough, in '99, Vody was doing stuff. Vody Bauckham, John Piper, Louis Giglio, and Beth Moore all on the same stage leading together. Yeah. Which today feels like, oh, I don't even know if that's possible. Yeah, I don't know if it's possible either. And and what was interesting is, and you'll hear it in the, if you go listen to the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, you will find 
that Mark had a different vision mm-hmm. and he was very into bringing artists in and mm-hmm. being creative and and this I they had this idea that look people aren't reading scripture mm-hmm. so from Mark's perspective you need to sit and you need to preach for an hour and mm-hmm. make people familiar with scripture mm-hmm. and that you need to sing scripture and in a way that people are familiar with the sound yeah so that you can they can begin to engage because it's not a literary culture and at that time, I was introduced to really what postmodern philosophy was. I got to sit down. I sat probably an hour with Brian McLaren, and he helped me think some things through transition-wise. They were it, the leaders were very available. Yeah, and that was what was different. And uh-huh. they were and they were looking to to encourage young leaders to you know. And now when you hear the podcast, you're like, okay, well they're they're looking for people who are going to do these things. It's it's interesting because so that that. Let's just kind of parallel these for a second. You've got the Mars Hill emergent church movement. You've got something like uh, passion. Well, emergent wasn't around yet, but yes. Well, we're moving that direction, right? Or, or yeah, people who would then lead in the emergent yes. movement. Uh, and, and Mars Hill would distance from that. You've got the passion world. I'm trying to think, what are the parallel? I mean, you've got huge groups of Christians are gathering to these. Um, there's people are going, my, my people that's being said in both of those circles differences would be, you're talking about this availability, accessibility of the leaders and the passion conference. That's not how it felt to me. I wasn't like, oh, I can go talk to Louis Giglio right now. He's on a big stage. He goes back behind the stage. That's that. At least that's how it felt. And then, but both of these groups, as they move forward, the people do not stay together. That's, that's a common yeah, no, they don't. Them. And in fact, they merge over. Piper and and Mark, and Mark kind of join, and then together. you've got, and yeah, then Louis would be. Some would see him as kind of having softened and compromised, and yeah, and then Vody went, went. You know, he's very strict right. now. Yeah. And, and many of the people listening right now don't know any, know any of these names. Maybe or they you know do. some of them. I mean, Vody Bacham is now huge because of CRT. Yeah, he just blew up. He was ever. He was kind of known as kind of awesome Baptist pastor. Then he became really known for being very strict on kind of how the church and the family operate together. Mm-hmm. And now he is the face of anti-CRT in Christianity. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, when I say Marcel is responsible, like I taught, I mean, you can, I, I found the little, one of the comments that where Mark and I went back and forth. I chatted with Mark when we go up there. Mark would not know who I am anymore. Um, he doesn't. Re- he wouldn't recognize me. Um, but I could email him, and I could have talked to him. I mean, that wasn't like I couldn't. Um, so you're you're not you're not friends, but you were acquainted, right? Yeah. But I am. I was. I mean, there are people like Paul Mossberger who I tracked down, who wrote a lot of the songs, who I became a friend with. I mean, we haven't talked in a long time, but. Uh, we did a project with him when he wrote new music, and 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 we introduced that music to the village like three or yeah. four years in. So you know we've we've done some things with those guys, but I think the thing that really struck us, in particular Sue and I, was that they were attempting to write music that was uh, reflective of what the culture was, but also they really understood how to lament. And mm. so their use of the minor chord or, or you, you know, we have a song we sing Isaiah 55 and it has what's called the devil's chord in it, um, which you shouldn't, yeah. you're not supposed to ever play at church. <laughs> I mean, that's used to be that way. Right. Um, and still, you're not going to find it very often in church. Um, and so it, it really kind of, and, and the creativity, they were very into the arts and very into yeah. expressiveness. And, and, and so that was really cool to us. And that's what we longed to be part of. And we thought, Hey, this is what's going to help bring us, bring people that we're connected to into hearing the gospel and engaging. And was that it, true in your context as it was with Mars Hill? Or? It, it was, it moved slower because we weren't one, I'm not Mark Driscoll <laughs> and that I don't have that great charisma Two, I don't, philosophically or theologically completely agree with mars hill and i'm much more built on slow discipleship but yeah no we especially when we were fourth avenue i mean 
for those very few people who know who Chicago was, he was at our church a lot. Oh, yeah. I, I know who he was. Okay. So Chicago yeah. and Chicago's clan. I mean, we still have some of those people in our community. So, yes, we yeah. we did reach the edgier people. Yeah. Um, and we did it. What we did, you know, we were connected at times to the living room. If people yeah. remember the living room. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, but what happened that was different than us, for us than that, the most of the people around us doing this is that we realize it's not a sustainable ministry. Which, right. um, And so we as people start having children, had to adjust the way we were doing things. Plus, we were able to sustain it where other people were not able to sustain it. I was around for living room days early and okay. early mostly, but yeah. Yeah, we had a lot of living room people in yeah. and out of our community, and we did stuff with them um, off and on. Yeah, so... The living room was a, a ministry that yeah. was actually launched by one of the mega churches yes. here in Tucson, which is interesting. But back when our downtown was very dead... Um, it was in a storefront uh, mm-hmm. downtown where there now is a, a restaurant space underneath yes. Connect, where Connect Coworking recently was. They but also it, were on 4th Ave for a while. And and then they moved to 4th Ave. But they started downtown, yeah. essentially across the street from uh, Hotel Congress. Right. And the, uh, yeah, it was this idea of just having a living room that was available yeah. and, uh, and people there to talk. And early on, they would have pretty pretty open like evangelism happening out on the street as well as just kind of people hanging out inside. And then sometimes they'd have shows. It's just very much a, a place to be, but you could depend on Christians being there. And then it's sort of the evangelistic side of it began to to wane yeah. and it became more like a venue. Yeah. And so, I mean, if you look at the village, so if you come to the village, that's what many of the littler churches connected to Mars Hill mm-hmm. was like. Because what they did is that space is limited in Seattle. So they had seven locations. Yeah. And different campus pastors who preached 90% of the time. Mark would come in once in a while and speak. He spoke at the main place. So the little satellite campuses, they all covered the same text, but they all had a different culture. And they probably ranged from 50 to 150 people per campus. Yeah. And so it was these cool, unique little artist things that were all linked together in one um, church. And that's what the village became. We just in a sense became a Seattle yeah. uh, a satellite, satellite of that. Uh, and so, and it's still, I think, in a lot of ways, I mean, there's a lot of philosophical things that, you know, Rod and I bring to the village and others have brought over the years that it's not Mars Hill. No. But it is the spirit of that. Well, a key thing to think about, and it especially came out in the fourth episode, I would say, was that Mars Hill had a lot of great ideas. It did. There were and there were a ton of needed pivots. And there it's it's such a tragic story in that there's almost more of that. There's almost more of the good in a way. Mm-hmm. And then there are these few elements that just really did it in. Um, it, and so it seems. Yeah. And I, you know, it's when I reflect on it, So for people who don't know, I mean, Mars Hill imploded, what, 2016 or 15 or Ish, somewhere, something like somewhere that, in yeah. there. And, and it all just shut down. Mark. Like real fast. Mark left and. That turned into like eight or nine different churches. Yeah. And, that, and that's good in a sense, but it's an interesting sociological study. For me personally, Marcus had such an impact on my life from afar that, and, you know, different conferences I've gone to and the few times I've talked to him, he's been really kind. Um, it's, it was, he's been life changing. And to watch him kind of disintegrate in front of, uh, front of me is, it's hard. It's like yeah. sad to me because you're like, you know, it's when someone you expect someone who gives you something good, yeah, to be always good. Sure, sure. So I think it's, it's hard it's, to watch. That's interesting. I because and I that's coming out in the podcast too. Is how many people did have a lot of good interactions with him, and not just short term, like sustained good yeah. relationships. And then for me, I only saw the most shock jock moments. Because I didn't follow it. I was right. just getting people showing me on their phone. Oh, my gosh. Check out what this guy said. So I'd see his most intense, you know, moments of a one-hour sermon. I'd see mm-hmm. that one-minute clip. 
or something. And so that was the impression I got, which isn't fair either because that's not really all of what it was. But right. what what were the – when you think back and go, here were the probably the most troubling couple things for you with from your vantage point. What What were the – I don't know. What were, well, the, what were the most difficult ingredients or the, the parts that made it a little unhealthy in retrospect? I, I think I kind of, I mean, and this is kind of weird, I kind of grew past Mark in his maturity in a sense, like, in, in, and in his, in his preaching. So I, I was, there was a point where I'm like, oh, I'm done yeah. with this. I've, but I think when I, when they started consolidating power and yeah. it was no longer a communal thing, yeah. then it, it was pretty much that was not end. that interesting to me and, and that seems like a very when when you look at the whole picture of it that change seems really key yes and i think one of the things that was interesting to me so sue and i went up there to go to a probably 2010 somewhere in there we went to a songwriting conference that marcel put on and a worship kind of worship thing and and there was a breakout group where they had some people from citizen they had joel brown who'd been around there you'll hear he was on interviewed yeah. but joel's had he is the underlying influence that's stuck in in music and that you know and he he in he was the engineer at the paradox he's he had a couple bands um but he was the influence there and as we talked to them and we went up and asked some questions afterwards to the, all the musicians because they were talking about songwriting and we're like look here's mars hill's philosophy and songwriting why are you why why is none of this being talked about? And they're like, what do you mean? And like, like, well, here's, here's what Brad Kerr was trying to put into place. And they're like, Oh, they had complete, there was a point where they decided to completely turn their back on everything Uh that they had done before. And they were going to like, yeah, really move into a more commercial, more mega church style, the vetting of their bands, vetting of people, the moving of women out of the lead role. Um, some women couldn't even read scripture yeah. up front, so things like that. So they really made this huge shift to maybe what we would say from a complementarian kind of understanding to a federalist or hierarchical like rule view of men and women. And so mm. at that point, I think Sue and I walked away and like we're like, we love the music here. I mean, the music is like nothing you've ever heard of yeah. anywhere. I mean, just in the quality of bands. Oh, yeah. Like the band Red Letter is is one of the most impressive things I've ever seen. It just at at church or anywhere else, like the the musicianship, you know. And they got musicians who play with uh, Taylor Swift, and they you know they're professional right. musicians who are playing you know studio all over the place, and so it's impressive. And so if you want to go to church to see that, that's great. But otherwise, <laughs> it's not. It's why would we? It felt like the spirit of God had moved on, and mm. in some way, and we, or for us at least, and we were like, "We're done." That that compelling element, whatever it was, it had changed. Yeah, well, they weren't about they weren't about uh, what do you call it, authentic missional living anymore. They were about mm. Mark and what you saw on Sunday. Yeah, and and it was a different. I mean, I think I'm actually one of those people that think Sunday experience is important, but not the way they did. They yeah. it was a production and a performance, and it, it wasn't communal anymore. Yeah. And yeah, it was it was very much you could see it was they were moving into a different model. Yeah, and satellite, you know, Mark was satellited everywhere. They started opening places in New Mexico and Phoenix. I saw, I saw the New County. Mexico one. Yeah, yeah. I was. I remember. I remember we were in New Mexico to visit my my mother and father in law, and I went, "Oh, there's a Mars Hill here." What? It's crazy. It was like, yeah, it was like McDonald's. Yeah, and then the ones coming to Phoenix and. And of course, you had Hillsong and Mars Hill both showing up in Phoenix and talking to some other pastors there. They're going, I don't know if this is good. Um, yeah. Because it's all people from churches that are thinking about moving over there. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it changed. And for me, honestly, it was just those early days. And, and it wasn't just Mark Driscoll, it was, it was the whole move, the young leader missional movement. Yeah. I mean, this is the group that coined the word missional. They're yeah. all reading New Begin. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So they're they're, you know, and you've got intellectuals like Brian McLaren, who at the time was not theologically out to lunch. He was really thoughtful yeah. and, and very 
helpful and you know doug who was doing solomon's porch and that was different mm-hmm. with all the couches and in the in the round and yeah preaching that was you know flattened out and you know having people interact with you as you preach and right you know so they were doing different things that made you think oh church doesn't always have to look this way we can re- we can be creative and with our liturgies and the way we missionally kind of engage yeah. culture and you know worship in front of people and help them be part of it so so and so of course we have people like so you've got what happened with mars hill which is more went a little hardcore federalist um maybe that's not the right word but but yeah like federalist is the right word I yeah think. It's and, just, i don't know if people would know what that yeah means. it's hierarchical rule yeah and then, and then you've got the McLarens and Pagets that really softened on a lot of the, they did. the theological the Tony Jones, Tony yeah. Jones, yeah. And and so the movement not only it wasn't just Mark moved as everybody moved from where they once all were together, yes, in a way, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah. The only people who didn't move were the theologians. Mm. Um, Alan Roxborough, who's still around, writing missional books. Yeah, and he didn't move. He's Kinda still where he's at. Ed Stetzer's on the podcast, yeah. and he's a, a little more of a strategist, but he didn't seem to do anything drastic. Stanley Gentz, yeah, was you know he was just a you know he was thinking differently. Yeah, he wrote you know books like Post you know Beyond uh, Foundationalism and yeah. Communal Theology, but he was still in Orthodoxy thinking about these things, yeah. and he didn't change. You know, I mean, I don't think any of that. Yeah. You know, those guys, um, who else was there? I mean, the, oh gosh, the guy who does all of the, who look kind of looked like, uh, Elvis Presley. Was his name. <laughs> Forget his name. Dan Kimball. Dan Kimball was there. Yeah. He didn't really change. Yeah. Dan Kimball's just Dan Kimball. Yeah. I don't know Dan Kimball. I just know he exists. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. They're just not here. I'm listing names. People don't know who they are. Um, but anyway. Yeah. yeah. So I think, like, yeah, Mars Hill helped us, the village, think through things. And, you know, Mark used to talk about how fast his church was growing. Yeah. And I, since I was going through the archives yesterday, the internet archives, to look yeah. through things, I decided to look at the archives of the village website. Because we have 20 years of a website. And there's a part where we would do very much parodies of Mars Hill. So mm-hmm. we had, like, a little thing that said... Uh, the 978,000 fastest growing church, according to the Seneca House, blah, 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 you know, of lower learning. Uh-huh. Things like, so we'd have little, like, things like that to kind of make fun of ourselves and kind of our communal self and parody Marcel in a sense and kind of make fun of them a little bit. Which is why you're the mega house church. Yes, why we're the mega house church, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. But I think I would say Marcel affected us most musically. Yeah. Um, because, and so in that, I would say Marcel and, and Doug Padgett, and that we really were like, oh, they were saying, look, like, play your own music. It's better to play your own music well than play someone else's poorly. Just, uh-huh. And it also will tell the story of your community. Yeah. I think that was the big thing that we sort of realized was like, oh, our community has a story. Mm-hmm. Musicians and artists tell that story and help people understand it. If we're taking in everybody else's music, it's really hard to do that. Um, so one of the reasons we kept hold of Marcel's music because it was part of our story now, right. and also it was free. Yeah. And on top of that, it, we were actually in some ways studying like, well, how do they do this? How does this process happen? And it really helped us. So now the village, I think we've written seventy-five songs over the, or two hundred yeah. songs over the last twenty years. So. Yeah, that's helped kind of you know Mars helped us. Mars Hill helped us create that experience in some ways. What do you what do you think is the benefit of this story being told through the Rise and Fall podcast, and what do you think is the downside of us all soaking in this story? Well, I think until Mark Driscoll disappears and steps down, people need to know that he has moved in a direction that's dangerous for people. And it's their stories coming out of Trinity and Phoenix that are yeah. unsettling, to say the least. And so I and, think, and and Trinity, his new church is different than Mars Hill yes, was, and his views different. his views are different. Yes, they've now. changed. Yeah. yeah, 
they have changed. And so I think people need to be wary. Mm-hmm. I think it's making people aware. I think for some of us who were around for all of it, it fills in some of the holes. Like questions I yeah. had of like, how did these guys that I know, like Tim Smith, how did he, how did he hang out with Mark for so long? I mean, Tim, you know, what isn't isn't even anything like Mark. Yeah. And so, how did that work? And uh, I don't know. So, just getting some of the inside story yeah. to all of it would be is helpful. Especially for those piecing it together. And I would think for people who were very impacted by, even from a distance, less connected than you were, it still could be helpful to go, okay, here's how and why that happened. There's something to that, isn't there? When Even when you've gone through something difficult in your family or something and you learn your dad's story Mm -hmm. and you go, oh, it wasn't just simple and maybe they didn't just do it to me there were all these factors at play. Right. It can kind of help you process, even though it's truly hurtful and difficult. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I think, I think, I think it feeds the, the downsides that feed sort of that uh, voyeuristic thing. Yeah. You know, I mean, that, that we want to know the salacious details of something. Uh-huh. For those of us who know who Mark is, I think what the, is important is that Mark has had such a broad influence on young Christianity over the yeah. last 20 years. And so that had a both good and toxic thing. You know, I mean, Mark and Thody Bachman aren't far from each other. Right. Well, as is often the case, yeah. right? Um, it's people with different views, but similar bents are very similar people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's funny. I mean, if you go and you, I, I sent the pastor's little group the little thing I said to Mark, you know, I'm like, who is replacing you, Mark? Like, what's, yeah, you know, and he's like, well, basically, no need to have that discussion. Don't need to have I'll be, that. I'll be here in Seattle for uh, the rest of my life. Yep. Guess not. Guess not. Eric, when I read that, I went, this man's a prophet. Oh, brother. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was deep. I actually deeply loved Mark and wanted him to succeed. And I was like, this doesn't look good. I mean, I was saying no, that it, it was... wasn't looking good two years in. Yeah. No, actually, that that did. I, I looked at that and went, well, that was insightful. And and as you said in there, you'd been praying. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 So, yeah, Mars Hill. I mean, the Village sings a lot of Mars Hill music. And. And, you know, actually, Brad Curra, who was their original worship pastor, if you read any of his books, Mark Driscoll's books, he refers, he doesn't usually refer to Brad by his name. Sometimes he does. But he's like the worship leader who couldn't handle the intense growth. Is how, mm, and so nice he, he quit. But I don't. that's not true. But anyway, Brad is writing some new music. He just told me and he'll have it out soon. So we'll probably play a few more of his songs. Just Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Nice. I was... Uh, uh, we were having a conversation in our home the other day about whether or not to watch the the Bill Cosby show. Right. Uh, That's a good question. Right. Like, is it he? He's an actor. The show was was sweet. Had a special part in people's lives. But then once you find out about who Bill Cosby was was and not and what he was doing even during those times. For me, that gets it gets complicated. It's hard to see him play a role that's so untrue, even though I know he's an actor. It, it's complicated, right? It makes me think of this. What do you when you when you think of Mark Driscoll and kind of everything that's come out? Like, what would you say to somebody who's like, I'm still listening to to him, and and I I love the old sermons, and it yeah, is that is it? What, how do you deal with this when somebody's fallen and their old material that was still good? Right. I mean, I people, I, and I don't even mean this in a bad way, but people say that to about John Piper, and I have a hard time with John Piper. And so it's not too, I mean, obviously John hasn't sinned in, in, in the ways that Mark has and, and abused, been abusive to people. And But I think... He also had stronger elders in the yes. church that existed before him. So yes, who knows? Right? But I yeah. think that my my thing is they're really good 
teachers and you should be wary of of that power over you it had a power mm-hmm. over me and maybe it wasn't always good um and that it i it can go beyond what god him and not necessarily jesus yeah <laughs> you know mm-hmm. or they might offer you the what they think is the right way to do stuff and then and it's, it seems successful in people's lives and in their community so why i should do this i also think we just consume people's teaching now and it has an impact on you. Yeah. I, I would encourage people to consume their local pastors, and not consume them, but listen to their co- local pastors a lot and, and and really try to follow where they're leading. And then, yeah, you can supplement with Mark. And the complicated thing about your local pastor is if you're in a church like ours, you'll actually know them and how not amazing they are. Great. But as you listen to a podcast like this one, it turns out that, Somebody who everybody thought was amazing, the closer you were, the more complicated it was. Yeah. That's always, um, you're always dealing with broken, flawed, potentially used by God, but broken people. And it's it's better to yeah. know that. And then, yeah. I, I think. Well, and I think, I mean, there are Christians who come to the village, and one of the things that they say when they plug in people who've grown up in the church and and they've either become a little disillusioned with the church or they've just not been able to be wherever Uh. they're at and they come to the village and you know why they stay they stay not because of the great community not because the great music they usually say stay because the teaching is amazing right now i don't think the teaching is amazing but what I do realize is that it has some novelty to it. Right. right. It's approached differently. Yeah. And I think it it's good. I mean, I'm not saying it's not good and I don't want to dis what they're saying. But I think what Mark had was a novelty to the extreme. Yeah. So for me, who grew up in the church, I'd never heard Bible teaching this way. I'd never heard it so raw. I'd never heard a call to be something much bigger than I was. Yeah. And to follow Jesus in a way, like with a whole, like be completely sold out, like be in or out, be hot or cold, don't be lukewarm. And that invitation with that much kind of Chris Rock style preaching, yeah, where there was deep, it wasn't just like the fluffy right. humor. Like he somehow managed to like really yeah. deep, you know, delve deep and be Chris Rock at the same time. And so, that was a novelty, and you get caught up in that a little bit. And I'm not saying people in my church who are listening to this shouldn't get caught up in the preaching at the village. I just think that when when you're challenged to to really deal with your life and your sin, you can that can and your life is changing. It's very easy for you to not think about the other parts. Mm-hmm. You're like, ah, you know, that's and you hear it in the podcast. People are they're. They're saying, yeah, we excused a lot of Mark yeah. because of our own life change and the change that mm-hmm. we were seeing around us. And that I think that was a big deal. Yeah. And, you know. It's got to be kind of a both and. Like, yeah. Where things aren't necessarily excused, but you also do recognize the good things. It's, yeah. Right? Somehow there's got to be that balance. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think my when I go to a church, I, I look for... I want to not be like, oh, wow, the teacher is amazing, and I'm not sure about everything else. I want it to feel integrated in some sense, yeah. like that this is communal, like in the way that things are happening in the community, in, in the church. And it's not just, here's our guy, yeah, and this is what we're really about, and yeah, we do these other things, but this is what we're about, yeah. is this person. That's I think when you're about a person, it's very dangerous. Mm-hmm. And it's not, I mean... People are charismatic. Yeah. And so it's okay to have charisma, but I think people who have charisma need to be in, submit themselves to really strong, you know, accountability. Yeah. So that they can, their gifts can be used, but the community can do it in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. So I don't think Mark, (laughs) it's obvious that Mark was not submitted to it. No, that's. That's one of the key things I see is is even like some of the concerns that people had. I think I think that some of that could have been very easily kind of walked through, but you could just see that he wasn't hearing it. Oh no, and you know, Mike Gunn, who I knew better than Mark Driscoll, um, 
who was one of the founding pastors of Mars Hill, there's a little comment about how Mark was like, oh, I don't think he can grow a church past 200. Mike was the only guy who could really stand up uh-huh. to Mark. He was bigger than Mark. He was more, you know, like he was more visible man yeah. than Mark. And Mark's always the tough guy. And right. so, and he would stand up to him. And I don't really know what happened to Mike. I'm looking forward to hearing yeah. if they interview Mike Gunn. Well, it's interesting. It's not just that, you know, Mark was. I think leaders do need to be convinced of things. So even that a, a leader would be like, hey, I think I'm right here. That's not shocking to me. I think you you need somebody with some yeah. conviction. But the structures that were put into place were such that if somebody did say something like that, they could just be fired. Right. Right. Instead of them actually getting to have an impact on the situation or even kind of have to work it out over a long period of time, they could just be get out, you know, you're in the way Um, or you're asking the wrong questions as like with that lady who is the the secretary who just brought up, you know, I think he could use other men in his life. Um, And so that, that was something that spoke to me. That was a terrifying story. Yeah. That was really sad. Yeah. So I I don't know. I mean, I think I think every leader listening to it probably is sobered a bit going, "Ooh, I see some of myself in there." But then I think I hope that every every leader in every church are going, "You know, here are a couple of pretty simple things we could do to not end up there." Like a plurality of elders that actually can vote a thing down. Um that's to me pretty important yeah i mean sue and i were chatting about some of this and i was laughing i was like yeah if i was like if mark crawford like got just made me angry for some reason i'm like mark you're fired it's it you know you're done one he'd laugh at me (laughs) rod would laugh at me and then the whole church would laugh at me you're right. right. There's just no. That's that's where you'd be done, <laughs> right. or or they'd be going. Hold you on. don't have that power, right. you know. Even when people do say at the village, because you know, they see me kind of what we would say as a lead pastor. No one thinks that I have the power to be like, "You're fired. You're fired." Okay, we're rearranging these things. No, there's too many checks down the line, and a community that doesn't just value me, they right. value all of their leaders, and aren't going to let that happen. Right. You know, I mean, yeah, there might be eight people left in the church if if I were to do something like that and could push it through. Right. Because everybody would be like, no, we're done. But at the same time, I think the flip side of that is that you do have a lot of power in that the village is very influenced and shaped by you. So mm-hmm. the chances of, and part of why that's so laughable, is because Mark Crawford is where he is because he is sat under you and really respects the type of church that you yes. built for years and years. And he's... and if he wasn't into the kind of vision that you have, he he right. never would have grown up in this leadership structure either. Right. So there's, it's not like, I, I don't ever want to advocate for this flat, non-led no. kind of church because it no. isn't that. No. But it's how people do grow up into leadership and then, you know, the, the fact that the, yeah, the power isn't held in just one person's hands, but also that, that things are understood and known. And if you, have a disagreement you're so embedded like here he's so embedded in the church right you know he's known as well as you are right yeah yeah i mean so i think that's a you know i think it's important i think that and i also think i i think the flattened out part is that when you're in community together a community of leaders and a community of people on mission that there's a freedom maybe not to say oh elder x you're like you're totally in sin and you need to like confess without proper biblical process but if i hurt somebody's feelings they don't need to go grab another elder and say hey i need to confront you because you hurt my feelings they can just say hey what you said was hard for me and you hurt my feelings and i don't think it was right and i can be like oh okay i can think that through i don't need to call you and be (laughs) have a meeting with you and tell you that you're way off base it's just like yeah i i respect you and i'm hospitable to you and vice versa and we can work these things through without the just the the weird power things that go on right and so i i think that's what i love about the village i'm assuming that that's present from my observations at the mission 
And and I would argue if you're at Mission Church or you're at the village, you're really at two really good churches. Mm. And I think they're churches that deeply care about their people and are unwilling to just be to write people off. Right. No, that doesn't mean that people won't leave and that they won't be upset and won't be hurt. But I think that is a general right. feeling and goal of the ministry is yeah. to care for people and to lead them to Jesus and to be long suffering together. Right. And, and yeah, absolutely. And I think that as you just said, and there have been plenty of, there's a long list of people who have like observed our churches or tried them been like, not, I don't, I don't like that. So I'm not saying, yeah, everybody's going to love it. No. But I think that there's a high commitment level between the church and people. And that's hard to do. And not, not everybody even wants it that way. No. Right. But no, but it's, it's available in these churches and we're, and we're trying, we have things in place where you really can appeal and, and kind of say, Hey, I'm, I'm hurt. This isn't good. You can do that. Yeah. You can. And if you're committed to working it through, people will work it through with you. Right. Yep. Yeah. Well, Eric, good to see you, man. It's really good to see you. It's good to do a podcast. Yeah, seriously. I do have to say, this is funny. You don't like these things, but I was, we haven't had a podcast in a while. Yeah. So I was expecting that when the uh, data came up on our podcast, that it would be low. People aren't going to listen. Yeah. Well, there were 220 podcasts listened to on Faith Over Breakfast over the last week. And guess which one got 100 podcasts listened to last week? Mm, My least favorite one. I'm just, I don't know. I don't know Jordan which one Peterson, that is. Oh, which hardly ever, you know, gets any listens. Oh, really? Just got a hundred. I mean, it has must like, have some... it, it has 800 listens on it right now, but it, it just either a bot grabbed it or there was some Jordan Peterson thing that yeah. hit this last week. And so people were hunting down. The Gospel Coalition put an article out about him. Okay. That would wonder probably... if something and, like that and those got listeners... people thinking are probably in our listen group so, some of them yeah yeah so anyway i thought that was interesting i was like what oh jordan peterson just <laughs> bumped us up that is interesting <laughs> yeah so thank you jordan yeah helping seriously. circulate us and if uh if you have as we've said many times if you have topics you're interested in faith over breakfast at gmail.com is how to how to email us if you're like if you're into our podcast uh, a rating on any of the platforms would be awesome and um I mean, five stars is great, but be honest. We're yeah. also not opposed to to somebody saying, "Boo, this stinks." It makes it look more authentic, you know. Yeah. But uh, whatever. Seriously, though, just engaging with us in that way that's really helpful. Right. And uh, yeah, thanks for thanks for sitting with us yeah. for our coffee and conversation. All right. You've been listening to Faith Over Breakfast with Pastor Eric Siepen and Pastor Andy Littleton. Please share us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thank you.